I pledge myself to the pod. Loyal I'll always be. A P to start, a D at the end, and an O sitting in between. Hello and welcome to an Omnia Paratus. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. We are two Gilmore stands, diving into our own past and present, evaluating if we were ever truly ready for anything. We discuss all things from problematic school dances to what no one prepares you for after college. We tell tales of elusive college boys and coworkers more high-strung than Paris Geller. Hey, everyone. Okay, well, anyway, I normally have a question, but today I have a statement. I'm a 100% vocal, social justice, soapbox, TED Talk level advocate for not starting Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Here, here. After the third or fourth Thursday in Thanksgiving is when you get to start celebrating Christmas. No November 1st, no early October, none of that bullshit. But this year, I have a podcast. This year, I'm being a responsible adult, and we are pre-planning when to release this. Also, this year sucks, but... So I, Jay Like the Letter, is watching Christmas movies starting on November 21st. Welcome to the episode about our childhood underrated faves and Netflix series, our reviews and rants. Oh, that was a lot of words. <laughs> I like it. And even more, I hope you guys enjoy our little rants and raves here. I'm just going to preface this thing. If you want to hear about Elf and hear about how much everyone loves Elf, go listen to any other person talk about Christmas movies. Yeah, we're not Elf people here. Sorry. So the way we split this up is we made a list of some of our more obscure Hallmark ABC Family one-off movies. And then we each took a Netflix Christmas movie. I took very extensive notes because I don't normally remember certain what some would say important details of things. And we had Angela watch the other. I took it upon myself to watch The Princess Switch, and The Princess Switch switched again. I watched A Christmas Prince, A Christmas Prince Royal Wedding, and A Christmas Prince Royal Baby. I'm just going to tell like a quick story as to why I took notes here. So... Let's go back circa 2012, I believe. My friends and I are going to see some movie and we miss it because one of our friends is a little less punctual than the rest. And we're looking for a different movie to see that says it starts around the same time as we got there. So there are a few movies and one of them is a poster ad for Silver Linings Playbook. I said, oh, it's Jennifer Lawrence. I know that like, she does the dance competition at the end. She's training for a dance competition. And like, I knew kind of the background angsty mental health aspects, but like the one point that stood out is, oh, Jennifer Lawrence dances. So I feel like they were thinking more of kind of a grease, dancing with a star kind of vibe when they agreed to see it. Then we watched it. Good movie. I don't think she should have won her Oscar for that. She should have won for Winter's Bone, but I feel like the Oscars are always like one season behind of when actors deserve to win them so like we saw it and they're like jay what is this movie about bradley cooper and jennifer florence and all these mental health problems going on i'm like but like i wasn't wrong they're like but we took something like that is not my problem that the part that i acknowledged about the movie that i had referenced and that i knew about is not what you were expecting when you agreed to watch it and it won the oscar so like i still win no i feel like this is one of those twitter feeds where Someone posts like, oh, like, tell me something that sounds like a lie but really isn't. And it's like, Silver Linings Playbook is about Jennifer Lawrence training for a dance competition. It's not wrong. No, it's not wrong. But 
you totally miss like a huge section of what's going on. So it's just, it's hilarious imagining this. Anyway, so I took notes this time. So I started off rewatching The Princess Witch, which came on 2018 on Netflix. We meet Vanessa Hutchins, number one, Stacy, Chicago Baker, and her BFF, Kevin, and his daughter, Liv, in their little bakery in Chicago. They get invited to go to this fantastical baking competition in Belgravia. First, what kind of name is that? The country of bells and gravy? Ew. I know, it doesn't sound appealing at all. Of course, little Liv is the one who convinces Stacy and Kevin that they can take the time off, and then they go. There, we meet Duchess of Montanaro, Margaret. Vanessa Hutchins, number two. Lady Margaret, Duchess of Montanaro, is betrothed to Prince Edward of Belgravia. She wants a few days left of being incognito and seeing the people of this new land she's going to rule. She meets Vanessa Hutchins, one, Stacy, at the Bake Off competition, and they decide to switch places for a few days. As anyone who's ever seen The Parent Trap, the original Parent Trap, Hannah Montana, any kind of sort of switcheroo thing, you probably know how this goes. I'm just going to read off some of my notes I have on here. Frank. Frank DeLuca. Sketchy. Small dick energy. Gretchen Wiener's vibes and Farquaad are what I have for notes of Frank. (laughs) How do they watch A Christmas Prince? If spoiler alert at the end of the second movie, the couple in A Christmas Prince is at the coronation. So that's another question. My third question out of context is, y'all don't check the plug of your mixer and the reason you needed the mixer was to puree berries? That's literally the one thing you can do by hand. It's how you make wine with your feet. You don't need the mixer to puree and your cakes were already freaking done without the mixer. Why did you not plug it in at the beginning or try it? I bake often, so I feel I have some ground to criticize this. I feel like it is a little weird, too, that when they did their complete test, it was two days prior, not the morning of. So here's, like, the two big conclusions. One, so in Switch movies, it kind of always ends with, I fell in love with you, but not you. But because I know you, we'll live happily ever after. Because we bonded, even though I thought I was bonding with someone else. But I know your heart. But the thing is, I don't understand how in this instance, spoiler alert, and we'll put timestamps for when we're not spoiling, or frankly, this might be a whole spoiler episode in which we'll note that at the end. Kevin thought he was falling in love with his best friend, who's he's known for so many years. I think I actually have the number. I think they were friends for 10 years. They met in high school and they're now like adults. Right. He was building on a foundation that they already had a relationship. And then it's just because she looks like her. So is that kind of fetishy? Like that feels a little fetishy on both of their parts, on all parts involved, actually. I mean, I I never really thought of it that way. I do agree with you, though, because it always seems to fall in with Switch movies. Like there has been a major deception happening, but somehow because we've like grown feelings for each other, it's all okay. Like whatever like security risks like safety risks i also feel like it's very i don't want to say it's the opposite of a superficial thing but it's like i found one of you even though it's the same actor attractive just i like the personality of this other one better 
So we're going to be okay with the situation. My second comment to go off of that is this feels similar to Suki's question in the second episode of Gilmore Girls where the girl twins and the boy twins are getting married with the swans, super salad. Michelle puts the post-it <laughs> on. And Suki question, if one of them slept with the wrong twin, is it cheating? And I also think this also very much borders kind of incestually. Because it's not like you're with someone in the family. Well, you are with someone in the same family line a few generations back, but they look the same. If you just saw both of them, especially because it is one actor. It's weird. This is weird. Switched movies are weird. They they definitely are. Like, there's kind of no way around it, especially when you look at switched movies and how they always take place in a very specific time frame that's usually very short, like less than a week or so. It's like, I spent X amount of time before this, like whether it's 10 years, a year, a few months, it's still a greater portion of time that you've spent with another person than with the person that you've then fallen in love with. But I mean, again, to quote Suki back on this, I think she ended up saying, or no, was it Lorelai? No, it's not cheating. It was a consensus. Okay, so now I've switched again. Angela has not seen this one, so it was my job to do this, and I have not seen any of the Christmas Princes, so it's kind of a full recap, review, everything. We're going to start off with this point. If you've ever worked retail in your life, Christmas music is triggering. They start off with Kelly Clarkson's song, the really upbeat one. I can hear it in my head. I don't I don't know what it's called. I want to sing it right now, and I'm holding that in. No, but overall, the music in retail... It's just played on this continuous loop. It's not on a shuffle. Literally after two or three days, you know the entire song selection and you know the pattern. So you know exactly where you are in it as well. So we switched patterns. There were the same like few songs. One year though, where I used to work, they apparently played like six different versions of All I Want for Christmas is You and then it's covers of it in a row. Oh my god. So the song is called, it's called Under the Tree. It starts off with the song and all of a sudden it brings me back to standing with all the frills and shady gift sets and annoying people coming to shop during the holidays. It's very triggering having to listen to that. Okay, so the biggest thing about Switched Again, which I'm going to say, just stop listening now, is that there is a third Vanessa Hutchins. I did not know there was a third Vanessa Hutchins going into this because it didn't say in my little thing. No, and it's not in the fucking trailer. Really? So I was shocked when I saw that, which is why you were getting all these texts. They start with the bake-off outside this year. I was like, it looks like they downgraded a little since Stacey once. I was a little bit offended. Like once you win and now you're the princess, you're going to like downgrade this competition, but it's fine. Then you see that... Margaret is on some tabloids. It kind of gives me like Duchess Meghan Markle vibes, the way they were portraying her on these things of why she's lonely. Oh, interesting. When you see the tabloids, like the fascinators, the color is very similar and kind of just the tabloids. Um, She and Kevin have broken up. Unfortunately, they were going to live their very quiet, normal life back in Chicago. Her uncle, who is king, dies. Her, Her cousin who is the prince, abdicates. So now she must go run Montanaro. She's not happy about it, but she feels duty and wants to do right by her family and her parents who have died in her country. 
Olivia and Stacy decide to play little cupids and try to like get them back together. In between this, we meet Antonio, who I call Small Dick Energy Part 2. Very sus. Big Hans energy. Hans from Frozen energy from this dude. Oh. He's the chief advisor to the past few kings. So she's going to leave him around. They were school friends. Blah, blah, blah. Then we have this ball. One, we have an LGBTQ dancing couple. Very cute. During the ball. Everyone's going to greet the future queen. Say hi. First goes small dick energy Antonio. Does something. And Kevin, with his big dick energy, cuts in and is like, oh, like, great song, let's dance. Steals her away. They start dancing. This is where we get to meet Fiona Pembroke, Fifi, cousin to Lady Margaret, who basically is Vanessa Hutchins number three in a blonde long wig and her two little minion posses, Reggie and someone. I don't know. Iris, Izzy, something like that. She's purple hair. She gives me Lola from Degrassi, the next generation, not Degrassi, Degrassi next class vibes. Then you learn, OMG, they're thieves. They're pickpocketing this ball because they've run out of money because Fiona's fortune has run out. So what do they realize? Oh my God, we're cousins. We kind of look alike. So we can now switch like Stacy and Margaret switched. So Fiona can get in, steal the crown, set herself aside a nice little fortune and run away to Capri with her little minions. Wait, so where's Stacy in all of this? Stacy right now is just with Edward and they're Stacy and Edward are there to help Margaret with her transition and Stacy and Olivia are trying to pick are trying to play Cupid with Margaret and Kevin. Okay. So here's where the movie takes off. Stacy wants Margaret to be happy, whether that is with Antonio or whether it is with Kevin. And she just wants Mark to have a full chance to have a try with Kevin, but she keeps getting pulled into all of these royal meetings and everything. So Stacy's like, the night of the children's choir ball, Margaret and Stacy are going to switch a day for her to get a full day with Kevin to really see if they're meant to be, if it can work. And Stacy's going to go to the choir. Of course, MVP, Mrs. Donatelli is in on it. Olivia's in on it. Unfortunately, they leave Edward out of it because they're trying to protect and not get more people involved. Kevin knows the truth. The day before this happens, Antonio pulls Kevin aside. It's like, can you really be the man she needs? Can you be the co-captain of this country? Can you lead? Or are you going to be holding her back? So Kevin obviously gets like scared about it. But then he has this great day with Princess Margaret. Mm-hmm. Stacy as Princess Margaret goes to the choir ball. Here's where everything gets great. Fiona wants to switch with Margaret. And so she kind of is bringing a gift for the orphanage and runs into Prince Edward and talking like how he met his wife. They switched in the powder room and that's where they made the big switch. At this Christmas ball, Fiona and her little minions spill a drink on Stacy, being Margaret, get her into the powder room. Then they chloroform her. Oh, God. And take her into a van and kidnap her because they think they're kidnapping Margaret. Oh, my Lord. Margaret's off with Kevin. You see the makeovers, you see the trades, you see everything happen. Oh. So now, Margaret and Kevin come back in love, ready to like commit and be back together. And she goes to switch back with Stacy. Stacy refuses to switch back and is like, I'm Princess Margaret. I'm going to be queen. Like, what are you talking about? And then Margaret's like, WTF, like, no, give me my stuff back. And meanwhile, the minions have Stacy locked in the Pembroke estate 
basement and she's trying to tell them you have the wrong girl you have the wrong girl and they're like what this is when fiona realizes that they kidnapped stacy pretending to be margaret and margaret is coming back to reclaim her throne immediately lady margaret goes to edward and tells him what happened and then along with mrs donatelli and frank they figure out what happened they figured out they never switched back the woman upstairs is not stacy and they have no clue where stacy is and then they recall oh my gosh the only time we left her alone was when she went to the powder room and edward's like oh my god i told fiona about the powder room situation so during all this they're like where's stacy where's this so they go to the estate meanwhile first dumps kevin says go home to america like i don't want you like you're not the man i need to rule with me he leaves heartbroken it's like if i leave i'm never coming back and then she's like Okay. Antonio goes to see Margaret and talk about it because she's trying to push the coronation up. Antonio immediately realizes that Fiona has a tattoo on her pinky. So you're not Princess Margaret. I'm going to tell. Unless you write me a big check to a foundation because I'm second in line. I'm not going to get my throne. See? The big Hans energy here. And I'll go along. I'll get the coronation pushed up for you. Then we'll both disappear. Wow. Okay. And as they're trying to get it moved up from Christmas Day to Christmas Eve, she's like, I'm going on the world tour of orphans tomorrow. Like, I want to be coronated tonight. In the end, everything happens the way it's supposed to be. They rescue Stacy. Edward and Stacy are going through a little tiff, but they make up and ply a royal baby if there's a third. Kevin and Margaret get married in the airport. They do kind of one of those love actually moments where they're running through the airport. And then Margaret gets coronated. And in this coronation, we happen to see the couple and baby from a Christmas prince. You see the couple at the coronation. You see Fiona with like two guards. They let her come because she gives the sob story of how I always looked up to you. My parents never loved me. Blah, 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 blah. Ends with Margaret becoming queen. Olivia and Kevin permanently moving to Montanaro. And Stacy and Edward promising to spend more time together. The end. Oh my lord. That's a lot to happen. Okay, I really don't even know where to start with that, so I'm just going to go back to the thing that made me, like, laugh. What is the world tour of orphans? Please tell me that's better than it sounds. Fiona was trying to explain why the coronation to be moved up. This is, we're on Christmas Eve, December 24th. On December 25th, okay, which is the coronation day, she's saying, no, I want to go spend time at the orphanage. She can't remember the name of the orphanage. And so she keeps trying to imply that she's such a good person. So she's like, I'm going on the world tour of orphans tomorrow. Like, we need to move this coronation up. Also, when Fiona's trying to get sworn in, her full name is Margaret Catherine Claire Delacourt. Fiona does not get the name right four times in a row. That somehow neither the priest nor the prime minister think is odd. That she can't get her own name straight. Oh, dear Lord. It's fine. Everyone says it. But yeah. All right. I think I'm definitely intrigued to watch this movie. But now I'm excited to get my education on a Christmas prince. Well, I'm very happy to hear you say that uh, because I have three movies to get you through here. And I'm going to try not to make it too spoilery. But we'll see how this goes. Okay. So. Amber, a budding journalist from New York, is assigned her first big story. Get the scoop on the playboy prince of a small nation called Aldovia. I'm sorry, what? That's how how the story starts. No, I know that country name again. Aldovia. Can you spell it? A-L-D-O-V-I-A. 
assumingly somewhere within the Netflix universe's map of Europe, close to Belgravia. Okay, so this is like a Prince Harry, like, peeing naked in Vegas kind of situation. That's what they want you to think. Ooh. I'm intrigued. Like I said, Amber, up-and-coming journalist from New York, she's never had her own stories before. She's been stuck on the copy desk. And then her editor tells her, you are going to Aldovia to cover the coronation slash abdication situation that is happening in Aldovia right now. Prince Richard is the supposed playboy prince who has been gallivanting all over the world, um, who is set to be crowned king on Christmas Eve, but has made no sort of formal proclamation, acceptance, whatever you want to call it, of the crown. Amber goes with all the other journalists and they're sitting in the castle. And of course, the prince is a no-show again. So um, Amber's with her fellow journalists waiting in a press conference to speak with the prince. And again, um, the prince shuts it down, tells everyone to go home. He won't be speaking with the press today. So Amber gets up and she asks, like, can I speak with anyone else in the royal family? They tell her no and they have them all leave the castle. But Amber breaks away from the herd of reporters, starts walking around the perimeter of the castle, happens to find a side staircase with an open door that leads right into the grand hallway. And while she's walking around taking pictures with her iPhone, she stumbles onto Mr. Little, who is in charge of, like, royal affairs and protocol. He's one of two people, actually. Is he a BDE or an SDE? He's an SDE. Aww. I know. It was very sad. By the third movie, that's very much confirmed. But we'll get there. As soon as he asks her, like, who she is, and she tries to answer, he's like, oh, American. He's like, you're Princess Emily's tutor, aren't you? And she's like, yes, yes, of course I am. And so then he brings her to um, the rest of the people in the palace for her, like, formal introductions and protocol training. And they're all incredibly confused, like and asking her, aren't you supposed to be here in two weeks? Aren't you busy? Did the agency just send you? Why did you just show up here? She just rolls with it, says yes to anything that they ask her, and is immediately brought to the queen and the prince that she hasn't been able to lay eyes on. Except in this moment as well, she finds out she actually has met the prince. At the airport, he stole her cab, and she yelled at him for trying to take it. They recount their little meeting there, and she formally accepts this job in another woman's name. I think the real tutor's name is Martha. And she goes about setting up pretend lesson plans for the prince's younger sister. I think she's about 12 years old, Princess Emily. So immediately, within two or three days, Princess Emily actually figures out that she's not who she says she is. She goes through her computer, figures out she's a reporter, but promises not to tell anyone as long as Amber is able to show her more of a good time. She wants to do more fun things. So a little bit on Princess Emily, she actually has spina bifida and she uses crutches or she's in a wheelchair. And Emily, sorry, not Emily, Amber works to empower her to let her know she can do anything she wants to do. So Emily basically blackmails Amber, tells her, if we can do more fun things, I will give you the inside track on my brother. I will tell you about the prince he really is and how the tabloids have it all wrong. So of course, she agrees. 
and they start spending more time with her brother and immediately, of course, he is very charmed by Amber's American ways and wants to spend more time with her. Says no one ever. Really, though, I think that's the biggest misconception we have in any sort of movie, Christmas or not. Nobody is really charmed by our American ways. I'm not even charmed by American <laughs> ways. So at this point, she's won over the younger sister. She's winning over the prince. She gets invited to a ceremonial Christmas tree decorating party where everything starts to unfold here and we're starting to get the real story. The late king has passed away about a year ago now, right before Christmas, and the family is very sad. And Amber actually begins to bond with all the other members of the family by sharing the story about how she too knows what it's like to be without a loved one at Christmas because her mother's died and she shares all of the things that she does to honor her memory during the season. Everyone's hearts are full. They're really liking Amber who's posing as Martha and then we get the two people who do not like her. Count Simon, Prince Richard's cousin who is next in line for the throne should he abdicate. So he's in huge favor of that and Lady Sophia, Prince Richard's ex-girlfriend, who would like to be his girlfriend again, slash fiance, slash queen, she and Simon team up to make sure that they inevitably end up with the crown. So, in the final days leading up to the coronation, Amber finds out that the prince actually, not the playboy that the media makes him out to be, he actually went on a soul-searching trip after his father died because he did not want to accept the crown. He wanted to abdicate. But because it was his father's final wish, he's decided that that's what he's going to do. But also when he was out traveling the world, he wasn't partying. He was actually doing volunteer work. And apparently he's known for doing quite a bit of volunteer work behind the scenes in Aldovia. He doesn't like to go in through main entrances or meet with the press beforehand. He, he'll sneak away from the rest of the family, like go into the side of an orphanage and play with the children. Amber's learned all this about him. And so as she's uncovering these secrets about his life, about his family life, she's very torn about whether or not that should make it into her story. But all the while, she does keep sneaking around and spying on him. And everything comes to a head when she actually tries to follow him on horseback out into the woods, falls off the horse, wanders around in the snow for hours, it's getting dark, she's confronted by wolves, and then the prince shows up and saves her, takes her back to the secret hunting lodge that was his father's, and while she's snooping around in there, she finds a secret compartment in the desk that reveals the biggest secret of them all. He is not actually their son. He is adopted, so he's not their blood son, which invalidates his right to the throne because the constitution of Aldovia says that it must be a blood heir assuming the throne, which means that Simon is actually first in line. Wait, does the prince know this? He does not know this. So. Damn, this is a better movie than I thought. <laughs> Amber, of course, brings the papers back to her room. Lady Sophia and Count Simon break in, find them, and at the coronation, when the prime minister asks, is there anyone here who disputes Richard's claim, Lady Sophia pops up and says, I do. He is not a blood heir in line to the throne, presents the adoption paperwork and the secret birth certificate, and says that Count Simon should be first. And, by the way, 
this is all thanks to this girl, Amber, right here, who's not actually a tutor. She's a secret reporter from New York. Amber is immediately thrown from the castle. She's sitting at the airport waiting to go home. Simon and Lady Sophia have a quick little marriage ceremony, and then they're calling for his immediate coronation, and everyone's dragging their feet trying to delay it. And while she's sitting at the airport, Amber remembers, I'm not going to spoil this part because it's actually, it's pretty cute. She figures out how Richard is actually first in line for the throne, begs to be let back in the castle. They let her in. She finds out where the secret information is containing the last final proclamation from his late father amending the constitution to include adopted males in the line of succession. And he becomes king. Wait, so she knew that he said that somewhere? No, she had a feeling that he did based on some things that had been told to her around the castle. So she kind of needs to like put together this little puzzle, like there's a secret riddle involved, secret hiding compartment. And why did he make it so hard that if she wasn't there, his son wouldn't have gotten to be king? So apparently it was supposed to be given to the family on the Christmas previous but he died so suddenly he didn't get a chance to. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Amber figures it out, saves the day, he's crowned king, and then she actually goes back to New York, tries to get her... I don't actually know if she works for a magazine or an online publication, but they reject her story. They don't want to know anything about the real prince or now king of Aldovia. They just wanted to know about the partying. So she quits her job and starts a blog all about the royal family of Aldovia to give them good press and share the real story. And about two weeks later, or a week later, on Christmas Eve, he shows up at midnight outside of her father's diner and proposes to her. And that is how we have a Christmas Prince 2 royal wedding. I don't know. How'd I do? The movie seems more intriguing than I thought it would. Like, there are more layers than I thought it would. Like, there's definitely quite a bit of, like, cheesy, cringy moments. Like, first of all, she was literally just in there as a reporter, and she's discovered wearing her press pass. So how did they not put that together? She destroys multiple priceless works of art. So I don't know how she wasn't removed from the palace after, like, the second or third one of those. Because clearly she's costing the money. Somehow it all comes together for her. A Christmas prince, a royal wedding. So of course, it takes you through the year. Amber has become this media darling. Her blog is super famous now. She's on late night shows. She's doing interviews. They've had this long distance engagement where she and Richard are going back and forth from New York to Aldovia and all these other places. And she's getting very recognized in the media. A blog is on the internet. Why does she have to be in New York? Well, she says she can never, she can't leave her father, who's her only family, and he lives in New York. Bring him. Do people not need french fries in Aldovia? Oh, so they actually end up moving together to Aldovia, but we're not there yet. I know, but like for this year and a half engagement, like people need french fries in Aldovia too, and malts, and milkshakes. You said it was a diner? Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. But I guess it's like they it's like transitioning your life. I don't know. They they turned it into a process. Clearly these producers do not understand how the bachelor works and you get engaged and then you get married and you move in right away. Mhm. How I describe this movie is just to give you a quick setup here. It's 
like any of those commoner marrying royal movies, but it also gives me a little bit of a Meghan Markle vibe and how we wish that things would have worked out for her. I feel like I'm getting au pair two vibes. Okay, I could see that a little too. So at their long distance engagement is coming to an end. Amber is moving to Aldovia and bringing her father for the first time. And of course we get this lovely meeting. So her father's this New Yorker from Brooklyn, owns a diner, walks in, wants to give everyone a hug and Mr. Little and Mrs. Averill, who is also head of protocol and traditions, is constantly screaming like, that's not how it's done. It's not how it's done to him. And he's asking for everyone to lighten up. It's it's pretty funny. Like when he picks, when he meets the queen for the first time, he actually picks her up. Um, Amber thinks like, oh, this is fantastic. They're set to be married on Christmas Day. Life is going to begin but when she steps off the plane, she actually finds out that things in Aldovia aren't what she thought. They're in the midst of a huge economic crisis and people are blaming King Richard for it. So when she gets to the palace, she asks immediately, is there anything she can do to help? She wants to share in duties with him and she wants to make sure that the people know that the royals are doing everything that they can. And she's just sort of pushed aside. They tell her like, oh, you have a wedding to plan. Here's your wedding planner. You're going to have the most spectacular wedding ever. You need to spend all this time lear learning royal traditions and protocols and family history. Down with the patriarchy. Yeah. While trying to balance her new life at the palace and honoring the traditions, she's also trying to remain true to herself and her work. So she's still reporting like on her life on the blog and now a little bit more intimately of the life of the royal family and it actually comes back um to this like very weird place where they are not really into her blogging but king richard promised her that so long as they were together she would always have her work and then on their first night bad move dude <laughs> bad move i think that's pretty nice like she should get her work no why not? You and I are affiliated to a Greek organization. Yes. If I were to spill everything about our initiations, our customs, all of our traditions and rituals on a blog, I'm telling the stories of the blog I'm airing the dirty laundry. I mean, that's one perspective, but if her blog is committed to portraying the royal family in a good light, I don't think she's there to air dirty laundry. She's just there to share her life. No. All right. Well, we can discuss this further. Then, of course, on her first night back in Eldovia as well, who shows up but Count Simon, penniless after Lady Sophia took him to the cleaners and their divorce, which apparently was called for five minutes after Richard was crowned king. <laughs> Sucker. Right? And so he begs uh, to stay with the family. He has no money, no car, no home. And so they tell him in the spirit of Christmas, he can stay with them, but they do not trust him at all. Practice what you preach. Don't mm -hmm. let him stay there. That's not a good journey for you, royal family. Right? It's... What's their last name? You keep calling him the... What, what, is, what is their name? Oh, they're the Charltons. Charlton? Charlton, yeah. That's dumb. Yeah, like the dance. The Charlton. That's the Charleston. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. It's not Charles or Charlotte 
or charlatan or charleston i mean it'd be very interesting if they were the charlatans i know but i'm saying all of these words sound similar and they pick none of them Mm -hmm. i mean probably because none of them have great connotations okay so these are the charltons yes the charlton royal charltons don't put him in your vicinity when y'all can't throw him basically you know some people need to like learn a time or two apparently all the while things are building up amber doesn't trust simon so she's constantly trying to keep an eye on him she's trying to learn protocol and tradition she's fighting and pushing back on her wedding because they try to put her in the most ridiculous wedding dress i've ever seen it's kind of like how would i describe it it's almost like something out of 27 dresses, like one of the bridesmaids' dresses. So, and then all through the process, it's a little sad. You definitely go through the time period where you see Amber and Richard drift apart as she's pushing for modernization and to have more of a voice within the castle. The royal protocol instructors are asking for her to just stay silent and do what she's asked to do. And Richard actually ends up caving quite a bit so it's very sad so she throws herself fully into trying to solve the country's economic crisis in that way she and simon actually end up teaming up together along with her bridesmaid melissa and best friend andrew from new york who've arrived for the wedding um simon actually proves to be pretty helpful in that way and also super shout out to princess emily here too because she actually ended up solving the economic crisis with computer hacking skills. Was it a real crisis if you could just hack your way out of it? Well, apparently, the most trusted royal advisor who was helping Richard make all of his decisions had actually created different shell companies to direct money away from the government and the people. So while Richard was trying to grow the company, grow the country's infrastructure all of the money that he was putting into it was actually being diverted to a separate offshore account that his younger sister discovered so after several little fights amber and richard have um amber actually runs away but then on the same day princess emily discovers the root of the economic crisis sends richard out to go look for her and apologize and tell her how wrong he's been and how right she's been and this is the one thing that really got me most about this apparently amber ran away to the hunting lodge that she followed richard to in the first movie but i don't understand how she got there because she's terrible at horseback riding there's no other way to get there it's literally in the middle of the forest so a little bit unbelievable uh they reference it several times during the movie she's still pretty bad So yeah, we'll just, we'll let them have that one. He discovers her, tells her that he's been wrong, that he'll do better, that they will make changes to palace traditions together, and they will confront the advisor. She, and then they come back, they reclaim the wedding. I think it's actually really funny too, because in this like whole giant pivotal scene, they actually talk about love and family and hope and traditions and what their union will bring together and the family has this nice warm heartfelt moment with the evil advisor guy in the room then he tries to make a toast to them and then that's when the dramatic switch happens and they start yelling at him accuse him of stealing the money and amber actually like pulls a bow on him like 
an archery and threatens to like shoot him and then they take him to the palace dungeon and then of course they get married at the end of this they actually end up having a very small church wedding her dress was actually very kate middleton i think they could have done a little bit better on it eventually so they end up married not my favorite movie in the franchise in the course of how everything's put together it's all just a little bit been there done that let me take you to a christmas prince a royal baby which actually gives me very strong Disney Channel vibes because we're now talking about two additional monarchs, another country, ancient sorcery, and a baby. Yeah, I said sorcery. So, like, we're in Twitch's territory? Like, there's a witch and a curse. Damn. Mm Mm-hmm. Who done fucked up that the family's cursed? (laughs) another year has gone by amber and richard were married on christmas they went on their honeymoon they've been ruling aldovia together and they've been working on this huge modernization effort and traditions to bring the country the monarchy and the government together into the 21st century and the people love her they really adore her and of course now she's pregnant and she's set to have a baby in early january it's about five days before Christmas, and Amber and Richard have their last royal duty of the year before they go into maternity leave. They must renew a ceremonial peace treaty agreement that was set 600 years ago between their country, Aldovia, and a neighboring country, Panglia, who has now become their biggest ally. The night before the Panglians are set to arrive, they take them through the treaty and how the ceremony will work out because apparently every 100 years, the reigning monarchs will come together again, share a formal handshake, and then re-sign the treaty, renewing the peace between the two countries for an additional 100 years. And of course, they tell Amber that as charming as she is, there are very specific protocols that must be observed for this moment. So please be careful and do not offend the penguins. And what does she do, Jay? She offends the penguins. She does. My computer also corrects it to pangolins too. So there are multiple fun ways to go with this name. What's that? I think a pangolin is another type of bird as well. Also sounds made but apparently it's real. They meet the penguins. Amber immediately offends them because in Panglia, they are very into their old customs and traditions where... The kings speak first, and then they must introduce their queens. Amber freaks out over the awkward silence, says, Hello! Welcome to Aldovia! So happy you're here! And they stare at her in disbelief, and then she starts talking to their attaché behind them, like, Hi! Welcome! Who also rolls her eyes at her, like, Oh my god, who is this woman? What is she doing? And then they bring them inside to sign the treaty, only... The treaty has been stolen. The Penguins are immediately angry, suspicious. They think that the Aldovians have misplaced the treaty accidentally in a way to force them to sign a new treaty and renegotiate the terms. The Aldovians are trying to assuage their their concerns, have them just like enjoy their time. They invite them to spend a few extra days while they find the treaty. That night, an enormous snowstorm hits, so the treaty can't have left the castle. It's somewhere there, so someone has taken it. See, this is the thing that sort of throws me a little bit about this movie and really gives me Disney Channel vibes. So, the only people in the castle are the Charltons, 
their staff, and these three representatives from Panglia, their king, queen, and their top advisor. So what's Mr. Whittle's deal? Why'd he steal the thing? Good job, Jay. Thank you. So this actually goes back to the original agreement that was signed 600 years previously. His ancestor was one of the men who signed it and was mysteriously murdered a year, a month after? Supposedly by somebody from Panglia, and his family vowed for generations and generations to get their revenge. He's playing the long game. He really is. They're spending time looking for this treaty, but then Princess Emily finds, going through her school book, that there is actually an ancient curse attached to the treaty as well that says, Whichever family breaks the treaty, a curse will fall upon their firstborn child, a.k.a. Charlton's and their new baby to come in approximately two weeks. Wait, is Mr. Whittle a Charlton? No, so he's... So why does it fall on the Charlton's then? So that's a little bit complicated. Mr. Little is a Devon on his mother's side, and apparently the Devons were the family that actually signed the first treaty, but their line died um, in the line of succession with Mr. Little's ancestor 600 years ago. So basically, his family has vowed revenge because they're very upset they no longer live in castles. I'd agree. Yeah. I would be salty too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all the while, they're all snowed into this castle. It's, I don't know, like maybe just about like 30 of them, but they try to go about life as normal, which is pretty funny. So they end up throwing this baby shower for Amber and they are inviting the Penglians to go like to walk into town with them. So it really in a way brought the two countries closer together and actually inspired the Penglians to accept modernization themselves and to have their queen have as much of a political voice and power as the king. Honestly, I think A Royal Baby is the best movie out of the franchise. I would take you through a little more of it, but honestly, it all leads up to Mr. Mr. Little taking the treaty. And they have the baby. That's actually a very cute thing, too. Like, I won't tell you much about what goes on in the middle, but of course, A Royal Baby, they have the baby at the end. Apparently, where Panglia is far ahead of Aldovia is with their concern for mother's services. So they actually have multiple different programs set up for mothers across the country for medical services, um, time off from work, assistance, daycare, all of that, which is run by their queen anonymously. And she actually helps deliver the royal baby because the doctor can't get there because of course the doctor's in an accident in the snowstorm. And then she arrives in the very nick of time. So actually, shout out to Panglia there, because I think they talked about a really great thing. And they invited Aldovia to participate in building their own services for mothers. And more countries should have that. Fake or not. Especially the real ones, though. I don't know, Jay. That was a lot of information. And I feel like, especially towards the end, it got a little pieced. But what do you think? Would you watch? I think I would watch. The first movie sounded the most interesting. I feel like I'd probably go one, three, two, just based on your descriptions, but I will watch an update and see if I feel the same way. I agree. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah. And well, next year we can look forward to what, maybe a Christmas Prince Adventures in Daycare? 
like a royal baby, royal toddler. I would actually like to see Princess Emily get her own spinoff from this. So Netflix seems to be competing with Hallmark for this Christmas demographic. Oh, 100%. But before there was Netflix, there was ABC Family's 25 Days Till Christmas. Oh, that was always the best time of year. Unpopular opinion, I didn't love the claymations, I didn't love the animated ones, but there were some that I did really like. And two of them, which I feel like no one's ever talked about, I've never heard reviews, I've never seen even throwback videos in relation to them, were... Once Upon a Christmas and Twice Upon a Christmas with Kathy Ireland. She's the only actress I know. Oh, and I know the blonde one from something else. It's not Nicolette Sheridan from Desperate Housewives, but she plays a similar role. We'll have we'll have to look it up for the show notes. But I think going back on this, I was trying to find where you could watch it now. You can't. Like for streaming services or even like related to a network. Can't find it. So I had to go through the synopsis on imdb wikipedia etc i kind of see why it's not shown anymore because when you read it through it doesn't sound like a very good movie excuse you no just purely from purely from the perspective of reading it because watching it it's pretty cute but when you read it ratty children santa's daughter stealing christmas Selling off the North Pole, caught in a fire, amnesia. I feel like I'm even making a little, little sound a little bit more interesting than the Wikipedia or IMDb did. You're just wrong. Well, no, I'm not wrong. It's a good movie. It's just when you write down a synopsis, you're a little bit put off. In the show notes, we will also be apparently posting Jay's reaction to reading an IMDb description of this movie, and we'll see what happens. No, these are very good Christmas movies. I agree. Apparently, you can still see it on Hallmark. So I found a blog post where people were writing that they have seen it within the last few years, but they show it at very strange times. So while we're working from home, I will have Hallmark on quite a bit to see if I can catch this. No, this is a great Christmas movie. Santa's daughter is trying to bring back the miracle and the magic of Christmas, while the other daughter is trying to sell off the North Pole. The other daughter annoyed me so much as a child. I don't remember her name. It was something like Kiki. Rudolfa. Rudolfa. I don't know where I got Kiki from. The other daughter. Really? I honestly thought I was just drawing from A Bad Mom's Christmas because I watched that last night. Kristen Claus and Rudolpha Claus. Oh, okay. Okay, pretty close. Yeah. Kristen Claus, amazing. Rudolpha Claus, worse than, worse than Jack Frost in Santa Claus 3. Okay, but the commercial she filmed was like A+. Plus. Oh my god. <laughs> You can buy your very own piece of the claws. Like, very catchy. I'm not gonna lie, child me totally would have tried to buy her own piece of the claws. Exactly. And Kathy Ireland forgetting that she's Santa's daughter and then remembering giving up her immortality. To save the sun. That was so cute. Great lessons for children. Great lessons. Mm Mm-hmm. But other than that, this is a very unpopular opinion. Maybe it's the Gen Z cusp in me. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. I don't know. I'm a huge Home Alone 4 stan, the one with the smart house. I've never seen that one. 
I think because of the smart house. I'm OG home alone all the way. I get one and three mixed up. How is that possible? Two is in New York and one and three both, aren't they in the house? Yeah, but isn't he like significantly older in three? I don't know. But four is a different kid. Four is Billy from Seventh Heaven. Oh, Billy. But four is the one with the smart house. And I loved smart houses. I love technology. I love smart houses. I love all of the Google Homes, mini pods, ALEXAs. I have one in my room so I can never say it. And whenever, oh my God, the most annoying thing is whenever I'm FaceTiming with my big, turns lights on and off with hers and mine always responds. Oh my God. I mean, I think my favorite pastime is setting yours on and off. The funniest thing that was once my big went to set hers and it was a group FaceTime with me, my twins, and my grand. Four of us had them, so they all responded when she said it. Oh, God. I know. My big always causing a disturbance. I'm just kidding. We're 90 minutes in. If she makes it this far, I'll, like, send her a bottle of wine. Home Alone 4, the smart home, the butler, like, top of the line, everything, like, all he had to say was, like, open sesame and cool doors would open he had like a 50 monitor like bedroom like it controlled the fridge it control- I, i'm a big smart home person love smart house that is you know ryan ryan merriman say la vie from bewitched all great things see i think if you want to watch something about a smart home watch smart house i want to see christmas cookies i want to see the fun of decorating i want to see snowmen you see all those at home. And you know what? I actually like the claymation. I didn't do animation as a kid. I feel like you missed out there. I like to do it myself. Like, I love to do, like, stop motion videos. Mm-hmm. They just weren't nearly as exciting. Did you see Pee-wee's Christmas special? Pee-wee Herman? Like, a long time ago. I don't think I've watched it since I was a kid. I was so shook recently when I figured out that Lawrence Fishburne is the cowboy. Seriously? Yes. Oh my lord. I don't know if this blows my mind more or less than the Shonda Rhimes Crossroads thing. I've heard that before, but I forgot. But someone was recently talking about that the other day, and I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. No, you were just bashing Smart House. Or not Smart House. Home Alone 4 with the Smart House. I don't know. I just, I think. Okay, well, I've never seen Home Alone 4, so I can't really tell you if this meets my Christmas criteria. But. I think that, one, for it to qualify as a Christmas movie, either 40% of the plot or 40% of the activities need to take place at or around Christmas or holiday-themed things. They do. Okay. There's a Christmas party. There's tree decorating. There's presents opening. Okay. All right. I can get behind that a little more so it doesn't really fall into that, like, mad smart house territory. No. Like, the whole point is it's – a kid going to his dad and his new girlfriend's smart house for Christmas. Oh, okay. This might be a Silver Wings playbook thing where I'm focusing on the part I think is cool, but like the parts about like, ooh, they decorate the tree like are less relevant in my book. Well, I think TBS, FX, one of those, it's it'll show it maybe sometime around this year. So we'll see if I see it. If you want to talk about problematic Christmas movies, it's not Once Upon a Christmas. It's not Twice Upon a Christmas. It's Holiday in Handcuffs. If you want to talk about problematic Christmas movies. Oh, I just watched that the other day. She literally holds a shotgun to him. Yeah, it's... I think that definitely came from ABC Family's, like, 
weird, we don't know what we're doing with ourselves phase. Wasn't that our childhood? I mean, I think our childhood was a little bit more substantial. I think maybe around like middle school, things started to spin out a little bit. Okay. Doesn't that seem like, okay, so Mario Lopez was in that one. Isn't he in 15 different Christmas movies as well? Yeah, he's like a Christmas movie staple. Candace Cameron's done nine for Hallmark. Oh. Chabert's done 10. Okay, so this is not a Christmas movie, but did you ever see Candace Cameron? I don't know if she was Candace Cameron or if she was Candace Cameron Bure then. She did, a, I think, like a trilogy for Hallmark where she was a female detective. The Amy Garden whatever? I think. The Amy T. Garden one? She still does those. Oh, I like those. This was like, dur- this was like during Fuller House. Wait, really? These aren't old movies. The Amy Teagarden mysteries are like recent. It's like when she was on The View. They feel so much older than that. So weird. Okay, I really like those. Candace Cameron, she actually did a Christmas movie with Walmart too. It's literally a Walmart-based production. I haven't been able to find it since the first time I saw it. But What's it called? She, I can't remember. It's so sad. But I remember when I watched it specifically, like, Every single commercial was Walmart. When it started, it was like a Walmart production, insert film name here. And she teamed up with a no good Santa. Like Santa had like just been kicked out of the drunk tank and she almost hit him with her car. Is this ringing any bells? Um, no. Does she play a twin? No. Okay, because I found Switched for Christmas at Walmart. But Christmas Town, Christmas Under Wraps, A Christmas Detour. Don't know. Oh, this is going to bug me now. I promise I'll try to find this for the show notes. But this really sold me on... What? Moonlight and Mistletoe? No. Do you have a plot line? So she almost hit Drunk Tank Santa with her car. And then she basically spent the day trying to like help him rediscover his Christmas spirit. Journey back to Christmas? Oh, maybe it's that one. Does it mention a drunk Santa? This is a World War II era nurse. Okay, never mind then. But I know overall it was pretty funny because w- using my own qualifications for Christmas movies it barely qualified it was really more just that this guy happened to have been a Santa worker and wore a Santa costume for most of it oh Aurora Teagarden not Amy Teagarden my bad I was getting her and then the girl from Friday Night Lights confused oh oops Christmas Detour Let It Snow The Heart of Christmas I don't feel like any of these are sounding familiar these all sound like the same movie okay I give up googling okay I'll find it for the show notes. All right. Do you have any other problematic Christmas movies? Like, honestly? I feel like the whole point of Christmas movies that makes them problematic, and this might make me problematic, is that they're not really problematic. They're very, like, holiday spirit, joy and love, donate, go work at a shelter, go help people. And although these are all messages I support and try to live out, I also don't try to live out with them at the few months at the end of the year so I feel like they can kind of gloss over and minimize things as in you only don't live these out at the few months at the end of the year like it's something you practice all year correct and people are oh well it's the Christmas spirit like 
or like when families reunite it's like well it's christmas and it's like yes it's good that christmas can be a moment to come together but it also doesn't disregard how families treat each other or how people treat each other the other 300 days of the year right i mean i definitely get that but i think especially when we might lose sight of that a christmas movie or christmas movie marathon might be sort of what we need to like refresh us in that respect like i know like most most christmas movies you're not watching them for an outstanding performance stellar dialogue or like amazing production value like they're pretty cheesy they're pretty cringy sometimes like they have huge gaping plot holes but they fill you with that warmth and just that little bit of joy like i personally i can't get through a christmas movie without tearing up at least twice because there's just something about watching people either grow or remember the compassion, warmth, and affection that they have for others. You can't get through a normal movie without crying twice. Touche. I do think Christmas movies can reunite and can heal a lot because people can recenter themselves. My only problem was when people kind of use it as a crutch of like, I mean just in general when people fall back on things to justify other things like I put money into the I put money into the Salvation Army bucket so when I yell at the shoe associate because they ran out of my size it doesn't matter or when I go last minute to try to buy the number one TikToker merch for my kid and I can't get it like it's just the thing of I think it can be for people who are moving fast a time to recenter. I just think it also, it's like packages get stolen more around the holidays. And I feel like it brings out the best in people and it can also bring out the worst in people. And I think if everyone had half the grace they did around Christmas all year long, we'd all be better off in general. Oh yeah, I 100% agree. And I'm just going to put an asterisk. Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate, if I missed any, I'm sorry. Whatever you celebrate around the time. These still apply. Just we are in America and Christmas is frankly part of the culture at this point, even if you do not have the religious affiliation to the holiday. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. And I think that if anything, we really need to work. We really need to focus on getting this message out a little bit more during the year. I think that we get so caught up in it. That's why we maybe start pushing Christmas out earlier and earlier every year. Like right now, I think it was in September, they started showing Christmas movies and all of the all of the advertisements were saying, because we need a little bit more joy this year. We need a little more Christmas. That's not why businesses push it out. And that's not, sorry, I'm being Scrooge over here. That's not why they show Christmas movies earlier. That's not why companies come out with their holiday sets in October. Mm-hmm. It's for profit. The same reason we're open same reason stores and retailers open on thanksgiving because there's the public that will be there and it's profitable if no one would go shopping on black friday and no one would go shopping the day after christmas businesses would not open and people would get to spend time with their families Mm -hmm. it's definitely a little bit strange too when you're at thanksgiving and you have to eat earlier so that someone in your family or multiple people in your family can go line up for a store that's going to open at like midnight or 2 a.m. or something. Oh, so you're going for that side versus the other side as of working retail. You just have to leave because you have to go to work that day. You have to prep. That is true. Yeah, no, I mean, thankfully, I only ever did that once. But 
it was it was really sad. I know I'm a little bit I'm a little bit spoiled in the sense that I like having my le- I have a, like a leftovers schedule that I plan out for myself for Friday, Saturday, Sunday after Thanksgiving. And it was so sad not being able to do that because I was working on Black Friday. And I think I worked like 13 hours. So by the time I came home, I didn't even want to eat. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. But no, either way, whether you're a shopper or you're working on the retail side, you're losing out on time on time with your family that you're supposed to have because it's it's not even just like a kindness holiday. It is a government holiday. Thursday. The entire 24 hours, you should not be working. You should not be thinking of working. Well, the same thing for me that goes with Christmas. Christmas movies are the value of family, the value in treating others respectfully, being kind. And you're watching these and you're like, yes, I agree with these values. You're helping these channels with their ad revenue and these channels in return and businesses in return are not giving you the time off to spend the time with your family that they're advocating that everyone should be doing. Mm-hmm. And products, like, I may or may have not worked at the one retailer at the time that sold a very popular influencer makeup palette. I had fathers swearing at me because we were sold out and we could not put them on hold. And I understand how coveted this palette was. I understand. But I had two fathers driving, one from the South Bay, one from the East Bay, busting their butt to get to the store to try to get it and a woman walked in and we had to sell it to her and she was like I guess it's here and it broke my heart because it's like these two dads were trying everything it was sold out all over the country and we couldn't put it on hold for them and they were begging and I'm like I'm so sorry but it's like that consumerism that goes along with it I mean shout out to those dads who are doing it but at the same time if you can't find your gift please don't swear at the store associates they're having such days here like if anything do what my parents used to do and if they couldn't find something that I wanted they printed out the picture of it and they said like okay next week we're going to go get this or like we've ordered this it's on back order it's coming in two weeks I had some more things but to end or to kind of get back to a better note thank you to all retail employees service people baristas, app-based drivers, essential workers, grocery store clerks who have to be out there right now or who are choosing to be out there right now to help make this holiday as normal and fruitful for everyone else as possible. I know in California, we're heading back into the purple zone, at least in Northern California. I know Southern California is already there. It's not the holiday we're used to, but thankfully with things like holiday movies, we're able to have some of that normalcy back. Thank you to all of the volunteers who are still running the food banks and coat drives and all of that, animal shelters, all of the things that are still regularly going on that we're not thinking about as much because we're not getting notices at work or school or anything like that. And also, thank you to all of our volunteer COVID testers. Or what? So, um, like, I don't know about all areas, but in my area, they've actually started um, taking volunteers to do intake forms and all of that. And not necessarily administer your test, but they're, as they're opening more testing sites, 
just in anticipation of people moving around a little bit more and having a little bit more contact, like they're definitely expanding that. So thank you for volunteering if you're not a medical professional. And if you are a medical professional, thank you for putting up with us as we increase our movement and maybe don't make your job easier. Here, here. For non-obscure Christmas movies, which ones can you not be without? There's only one correct answer, and that's always at Christmas time. Yes. The season is not complete without Eloise at Christmas time. Or, frankly, I'm going to add to this list too, A Miracle on 34th Street. Matilda. Mm-hmm. I saw that movie once, and I think it scared me. Oh, I, it definitely scared me too as a child. But I, I watched that all year long. That and a Santa Claus. Well, as you know, as Jay knows, I do Christmas in July as well. So I give myself two Christmases. You mean the Santa Claus, like the Tim Allen series? Yeah. I don't. Harry Potter is always on there, and I'm always like, "Is Harry Potter? You're 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 the geek." So I, Harry Potter is not a Christmas movie. I don't believe it meets any of the criteria to be. It just, it happens to be one of those movies that covers the span of an entire year. So there are winter scenes and they celebrate Christmas. But I don't think that maybe that 10 minutes of celebration or activity or other activity relating around the holiday time makes it a Christmas movie. I also don't know why they show Star Wars at Christmas because... I've never seen any evidence of a Christmas tree in the galaxy far, far away. One day when I get Jay to watch Star Wars, she will get that reference. No. Yes. Guys, she got me a lightsaber for Christmas, so I'm, I'm going to get her to watch. You're not getting – I mean, I'm not going to say you're not getting a lightsaber because I don't want to give you any hints, but like, sure. But I'm surprised you didn't name one of the most annoying Christmas movies to me, but somehow it makes me like – the Scrooge cold-hearted Jack Frost of my friend group. The Grinch. No. I'm the Grinch because of this movie. A Christmas Carol? I think the line goes like, it's Christmas, so I just thought I'd tell you. Love Actually. Okay, so I love Love Actually. Oh my gosh, you guys. All of, it's like literally, I think it's multiple people's like favorite movie, if not like favorite Christmas movie. And I watched, I hadn't seen it until college. And were you there when I saw it? I don't think so. I think it was you and your big, maybe one of I your think twins. My twin and grand. Because I know we got pizza and they were like all swooning over it. And I was just annoyed. Oh, God. Nanny McPhee's husband. This is the other thing I do with movies when I can't remember the actor's name or the character's name, but I remember they meant something else. Emma Thompson? Yes. Yeah, her husband dick <gasps> yes yes just like you i also do the association thing and her husband is severus snape and harry potter the only character i liked in that movie was the little ginger who played the drums oh my god like you go through so many emotions when you watch that movie like i didn't understand half the plot lines how music and lyrics guy with like his assistant there was, like, the love triangle. Then there was the affair. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I guess, like, I just stayed what they were. Just, like, they were all boring. Okay. I, I cannot remember his name in the movie 
but oh man and now i can't remember his name in real life which which plot line are we in aurelia the girl from hugh Hugh dancy hugh grant no no that hugh hugh grant is the other half of him in bridges bridget diaries oh colin firth yes colin firth and the lovely woman who plays aurelia and so they're caught in their own little love story they don't speak the same language so i like that one and then i like the little kid okay that one call i forgot about colin firth okay i was gonna say i don't know how that one couldn't have spoken to you like that one was fun okay Oh my god, they're so much fun. Everything about but them. like the one with the sign, the one with the sign and Kira Knightley. I like the memes that everyone does of that, where they change the words on the sign. Oh my god, they actually did a call out to that in another mini series that was very cute. Same sentiment, but still very cute. I mean, they've done that in a bunch of other movies. Mm-hmm. No, but but this one I think was specifically the best. Why? So it's the Hulu miniseries, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm. And I don't know. I I liked it because so in Love Actually, it's a a sad but hopeful scene. And in Four Weddings. If you were the husband, would you consider that a hopeful scene? Well, no. It's hopeful because his best friend is... Like, I will move on from this, but for right now, this is where I'm at, and I'm a little sad. I'm a lot sad. He's crushed. There's no way around that. Dude is crushed. But it's it's hopeful because he will find love again. I don't know. I, I love all of their little love stories, even if they don't really work out. It's just, it's the feelings. I actually don't really watch it at Christmas, though, but I do watch it any other time of the year. But it is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. What's not a Christmas movie is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I don't know why everyone classifies that. Just because it takes place in the snow does not make a movie a Christmas movie. Exactly. That bothers me so much. Or how they feel that snow needs to be in every Christmas movie. Like, I watched a Lifetime Christmas movie the other night, A Very Charming Christmas Town, it takes place in Southern California, and they had it snow twice. With that logic, wouldn't The Revenant be a Christmas movie? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And Leonardo DiCaprio is missing out on a prime audience there. He should be asking for that to be on FX around November, December. I would make Fargo a Christmas movie, although I think that actually does take place around Christmas. I've never seen Fargo. It's a show now. Does the show have anything to do with the movie? So the show follows a similar setup of American Horror Story and that each season is a standalone. But I think it was the first two seasons that were most closely related to the movie. And they've since now branched off. So it all takes place same same area, but like different stories. Well, why with the poodles? Thank you for listening to this episode of In Omnia Paratus. Grab your coffee bowl and don't forget to rate, download, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at In Omnia Pod on Instagram and let us know what you want to hear about in the comments. Bye. Happy holidays. 
Merry all holidays to all and to all good night. <laughs>